0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray together. Loving Father, it's such a privilege that we are able to speak to you, to talk to you in prayer. And we're so grateful that you speak to us. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would make us like children, that we would hear your voice, and hearing your voice, we would obey. I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, I want to begin with this morning with a little thought experiment, okay? If I ask you to summarize the Christian faith, or the Christian life in 50 words or less, so short enough to fit on uh, something the size of a post-it note, what would you write? Summarizing the Christian life, the Christian faith, 50 words or less. You can't write the creed, it's too many words, I counted. What would you write? Well, let me tell you how Rowan Williams answers that question. Rowan Williams is former Archbishop of Canterbury, one of the greatest living theologians. He says this, If somebody were to ask me how to summarize the Christian faith on something the size of a post-it note, the best thing I know to write is the Lord's Prayer. Now when I first heard him say that, I was pretty surprised. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized Rowan Williams is a much smarter person than I am. He's probably right, and I think he is right. The Lord's Prayer contains the very heart of the Christian faith. In it, we find out who God is, who we are, what we really need, and why we're here. And many of us, I think, are so familiar with the Lord's Prayer, this very short and simple prayer, that we forget how amazing it is. And it really is amazing. Somehow it manages to be simple enough for a young child to remember and robust enough for an old saint, robust enough to contain the prayers of an old saint, who's preparing to pass through the veil of death into glory. It's a prayer that a three-year-old can memorize in a week or two, praying at night with her parents. And it's a prayer that really takes a whole lifetime to actually learn. You know, I'm not sure there's a passage, passage of Scripture that's more important for us to know, to like really know in our hearts, than the Lord's Prayer. Nothing can get us through this hard and difficult and beautiful life like the Lord's Prayer can. And so this morning we're gonna spend some time looking at the Lord's Prayer. We're gonna be looking at Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, which is a little bit different from Matthew's version and also a little different from the liturgical version that we tend to pray. And we'll say a little bit more about that. But we're gonna look at three things this morning as we turn our attention to Luke's Gospel. First, we're going to look at why the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. Second, we're going to consider how Jesus answers them. And third and finally, we're going to talk about how we should use this prayer, how we should pray it now. So first, we're gonna consider what might be the best question the disciples ever asked Jesus. So why do they ask Jesus how to pray? And I think there's two reasons, and they're related. It's really simple. The disciples asked Jesus how to pray because they didn't know how to pray. And Jesus did, right? Pretty simple. But I don't want to skip past this. I don't know about you, but I find so much comfort and encouragement in the existence of this question in hearing that the disciples, guys who spent so much time around Jesus, they didn't quite know how to pray. I take this as a kind of validation of the trouble and the challenges that I have with prayer. Right? I, I hear this that the disciples didn't know and I'm like, wow, I'm not the only one, right? Do any of you have trouble? I'm not the only one, right? It's not just the disciples and me. Prayer is hard. And I think this request, the existence of this request, reveals that prayer is hard. It's something that needs to be taught and it's something that needs to be learned. And the Gospels reveal Jesus to be just the teacher that all of us need to learn how to pray. As we flip through the pages of the Gospel uh, of Luke, uh, we see really all of the Gospels. They describe Jesus as a man of prayer, but Luke especially does this. The Gospel of Luke uh, deals with prayer, uh, talks about prayer almost twice as many times as, as the next Gospel. And so as we flip through this particular Gospel, we see Jesus is constantly praying. He's praying by himself, sometimes all alone at night, through the whole night. Sometimes he prays in small groups with his disciples. He prays at mealtimes. And then we see him praying at the major inflection points of his life, at his baptism, before he picked his disciples. And of course, we all remember his prayer in the garden right before he went to the cross and then his prayer on the cross. Jesus was a man of prayer, and the disciples saw this up close. They saw his life was a life of prayer, and they wanted what Jesus had. They wanted a life of love and joy and power that bubbled up from his deep well of prayer. And so they just asked him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John has taught his disciples. And if the fact that the disciples had to ask this question is encouraging, I think Jesus's answer is even more encouraging for us. So how does Jesus respond? Well, he doesn't say, sorry, gents, Prayer is only for spiritual geniuses. This kind of thing can't really be taught. You either have it or you don't. Right? He doesn't say that. Instead, and it just flows right off the tip of his tongue, he teaches them. And it may be obvious, but this means that prayer can actually be learned. We can learn how to pray like Jesus prayed. Jesus teaches us to pray. He teaches us to pray just like he prayed. It's an amazing thing. And... The brilliance of Jesus' teaching here, I think, <clears throat> is not in its novelty. You see, Jesus isn't really teaching anything new in this prayer. You can find all of the content of this prayer in the Old Testament and in the prayers that first century Jews would have prayed. The brilliance of Jesus' teaching here isn't in its novelty, but in its elegance, in its ability to be so comprehensive and so concise. Like an elegant math equation that unlocks some of the secrets of the universe with just a few symbols. Jesus here spans the inexhaustible landscape of prayer in just 38 words. It's amazing. <clears throat> this is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book on prayer, says all of the prayers of scriptures are summed up in the Lord's Prayer, including the Psalms. All of the prayers in the scriptures are taken up into its immeasurable depths. The Lord's Prayer, he says, is the crown and the unity of all prayer. And so if we want to learn how to pray, we learn the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to take a closer look at Jesus' teaching here. And really His teaching spans uh, verses 1 through 13 in this chapter, but we don't have time to look at all of it. We're just going to look at verses 1 through 4, focusing especially on what we call the Lord's Prayer. And so if you look at it structurally, there's two sections, uh, two halves to the prayer. The first half is an address with two petitions, and the second half of the prayer is three more petitions. And so what we're going to do for a few minutes is just walk through each of these things um, together. So the first word in this prayer is Father. God's identity as Father and our relationship with Him as His beloved children is what anchors this prayer And it anchors all of our prayers and really all of our lives. And it's hard to overstate just how precious this first word is, Father. Through Jesus, the Son of God, we also can know God as Father, like Jesus did. Through his life and death and resurrection, we have access and an audience with the Lord of the universe. And the Lord of the universe is our Father and we get to talk to him and hear him talk to us. While it's rare uh, in Jesus's time in, in the Bible to address God as father, it wasn't entirely unprecedented. There were some prayers in the first century that were directed to God as father and there's actually one example, there might be more, but I could only track down one in the Old Testament where in the context of prayer, God's people pray to God as father. But what we're seeing here is Jesus transforming this exception into the norm. Where only a few prayers were addressed to God the Father, Jesus now opens the floodgates so that all of our prayers can be addressed to our Father, our Father who loves us and listens to us and is capable of responding and taking action on our behalf. So Jesus says, pray like this, Father. And then he teaches the first petition, which is hallowed be your name. It's kind of old English, put differently, it just means, may your name be made holy, or may your reputation be honored. Now, it's not as if God's name isn't already holy, as if God could be made more holy. What we're praying here, to paraphrase Saint Augustine, is that all would praise God as holy. We're asking that all of us, the whole world would praise God as holy. We're praying that we would see God, and when we see God, nothing would appear holier or more glorious or more beautiful or more desirable. In this petition, we're praying that we and that all the world would worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, as the psalmist puts it. And so in our first petition, our first focus is on our Father's name. And the second petition is on His kingdom. And here we pray, your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is the thing that Jesus talked most about, but it can be confusing. So the kingdom of God, just to define it for us a little bit, is where reality aligns with God's desire. It's when the way the world ought to be becomes the way the world actually is. God's kingdom is present whenever what God wants done is actually done. And so in praying this petition, we're saying, we know the kingdom is here but it's not here fully and finally lord we see the brokenness and the ugliness of the world and we are begging you to fix it to piece the world back together to build your kingdom when we pray your kingdom come we're saying to borrow from the prayer of saint francis where there is hate lord let there be love where there is hurt god please bring healing where there's doubt bring faith where there's despair bring hope where there is darkness bring light where there's sadness lord bring joy. And to pray like this is a radical thing. As theologian Karl Barth said, prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. I love that definition of prayer. It is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. And so when we pray, and when we pray this particular petition, we're participating in God's revolution. We're asking it to take root here. Now that's the first half of the prayer Before we move on and look at the second half, I just want to pause and and make a quick comment. It's hard to imagine a better beginning uh, to how we should pray. You know, it's almost like Jesus knew what he was talking about in teaching us how to pray. Left to ourselves, to our own devices, I think our prayers tend to be quite self-centered, right? We'll begin with, Lord, let my name be honored. Let my kingdom come. But this prayer trains us and it forms us it begins in a radically god-centered way and it reorients us to the father and it realigns us with his wills and his ways and it reminds us that this isn't really all about us it's about god and once we get through the first half once we're recalibrated then we're finally ready to turn our attention to bring our very real needs that are important to God, to Him. And that's what we do with these last three petitions. And these last three couldn't be more holistic. As my old pastor and professor from Boston, Gordon Hugenberger, has pointed out, in these final three petitions, we pray for uh, the provision of our needs in the present, we pray for the remission of our past sins, and we pray for protection uh, in the future. So we'll look at the final three petitions together. So third, we pray for our daily bread. And I think Martin Luther, the great reformer, is right when he says that daily bread means more than just food. It means more than just bread. It actually means everything that we need to live in this world. So he says it means food and clothing and housing and health. It means meaningful work and money. And he goes on to say that it means a just government and a fair economy and peace and true friends. And good neighbors, and the like. His list goes on. Daily bread here is meant to be comprehensive. It's everything that we need to live, to live well. And one of the things I particularly appreciate about this petition is that Jesus turns our attention to our primarily physical needs before thinking about our spiritual needs. And of course, the truth is both the physical and the spiritual matter But I think beginning this way helps to correct a tendency that we tend to have of elevating the spiritual over the material. This brings us to the fourth petition, forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And here we move from our essential physical needs to our most essential spiritual need, forgiveness, forgiveness of sin. We can't really live without forgiveness. I love how one commentator describes just how vital forgiveness is. He writes this, it's obvious that there can be no life without food and necessities, right? We all know that. But it's equally true, though perhaps less obvious, that there can be no life without forgiveness. Now there's a character from a show that um, Susan, my wife, and I um, recently finished watching called The Last Kingdom. It's a great show, it's on Netflix. It's about Vikings and Saxons battling it out in uh, the eighth century. And there's a character I think in this show that illustrates the importance of forgiveness. One of the main characters is called Brida, and she's kind of a character study for how unforgiveness uh, can destroy a person, what it looks like. Now throughout her life, Brita experiences a horrific amount of trauma, injustice. But instead of releasing her wrongdoers, whether they're real or perceived, we see her again and again feasting on unforgiveness. Instead of forgiving people when she has the opportunity, vengeance becomes her daily bread. And so over time, over the course of the show, Brita becomes an acid that destroys everything and everyone that she touches. It's pretty painful to watch actually. I think we all know that you can live you can only live a month or two without food. But you can actually live a really long time without forgiveness, receiving forgiveness or extending it. And many of us do. But it's really not much of a life. This petition teaches us that our hearts our hearts need forgiveness just as much as our bellies need food. This brings us to the fifth and final petition. Do not bring us to the time of trial. Now, the first thing you'll notice about this one is it's pretty different from what we're used to, from what we're used to praying when we pray the Lord's Prayer. And this is definitely the part of the Lord's Prayer that I get most, the most questions about as a pastor. And I think the confusion stem, stems from the Greek word here that can mean temptation. It can also mean test and it can also mean trial, just depending on the particular context. Now, I don't wanna get too far into the weeds here, but the reason that we typically pray, lead us not into temptation, is because this is how John Wycliffe translated it when he translated the Bible into English for the very first time in the 14th century. Now, Wycliffe did a lot of really good things, but uh, I think he messed up this particular phrase. It's really not the best translation of it but it stuck. And it became cemented into our liturgical tradition in large part because of the King James Version Bible, but especially because of the Book of Common Prayer. So this is really our fault, it's the fault of Anglicans and we're gonna fix it together right now, okay? (laughs) Okay, just all kidding aside, if we, you know, it's okay to pray the way that we do pray if we mean the right thing by it. So if we take, lead us not into temptation to mean something like, Lord, don't abandon us to temptation That makes sense, right? But it still can be a little bit confusing because it seems like we're asking God not to entice us to evil, right? Which is a thing that God promises he would never do. So instead, I think our Bible translation, which is the New Revised Standard Version, I think our translation gets it right. The fifth petition, we're praying to be saved from the time of trial. And the time of trial is the final judgment. So just as we pray for the provision of our present needs, and we just prayed for remission of our past sins, here in this last petition, we're praying for protection in the future. What we're praying for is that we might finish the race, that we might keep the faith, and that God would bring us to eternal life. Now there's much more I'd like to say about the Lord's Prayer, and there's much more that could be said. And if you want to dig a little bit deeper into it i would like to invite you to join us for foundations it's a 12-week course jonathan will say a bit more in our announcements but we'll spend two whole evenings digging deeper into the lord's prayer so just want to make a little plug uh, for foundations if you want to dig deeper okay so i just want to cover a little bit of where we've been before we move on to our final move so we've looked at why the disciples ask jesus to teach them how to pray and we've just spent some time exploring how it is that Jesus teaches him, looking into uh, the content of the Lord's Prayer. Now I want us to consider how we now should use this prayer. How do we pray the Lord's Prayer? And so the question before us is, is this, are we meant to recite just these words, these 38 words that Luke gives us, or are we to see the Lord's Prayer as more of a model for our prayer? Put differently, are we to pray this verbatim or are we sort of allow, uh, meant to allow it to be a pattern for us that we kind of improvise and, and pray? And the answer to this question is yes. It's a both and. We're supposed to pray it uh, verbatim and to use it as a model. So what does this mean? What does this look like? Well, it means that the words of the Lord's Prayer are words that we should actually pray, that should come through our mouths. We should pray them early, We should pray them often. And that's why in the Book of Common Prayer, in each one of the daily offices, you'll find the Lord's Prayer. And that's why we pray it together every Sunday like we will do in a few minutes. Reciting these words roots us in the form of this prayer and it buries it deep into our bones. But that being said, in teaching us to pray, Jesus is inviting us into more than merely the recitation of the right set of words. To summarize one theologian, this form, the Lord's Prayer, was never meant to be a devotional prison. It was always meant to lead us to liberation. Now when we become fluent in its form and we know the Lord's Prayer, it sets us free. That means the Lord's Prayer is a starting point, not a fixed end. It's a model, it's a pattern that we fill out as we pray. So what does it look like to use this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, as a model or a pattern? Well, I think it means each petition becomes a diving board. Each petition becomes a diving board, launching us into the deep streams of prayer that flow out from the Lord's Prayer. And if we're doing it right, that means we actually never leave the Lord's Prayer. We just go deeper down into it as we pray. So very practically, this is what it can look like. As we pray through each petition, we pause. So we begin with the word Father, and we stop. And we spend some time reflecting on what that really means, the gift and privilege it is that we get to refer to God and know God as our Father. And as I've prayed the Lord's Prayer, sometimes I find it's hard to get past this first petition. But if you do manage to get past the amazingness of being able to call God our Father, you move on to the next petition, right? And as we pray, your kingdom come, we pause and we reflect on all of the ways that we see disorder in our world. Maybe that's at work, maybe it's in our homes, or in our neighborhoods, or in our marriages, or in our own hearts. And we pray that God would break in. We pray for God's revolution, for God's kingdom to be established in all of these places. And as we ask for forgiveness for our sins, we pause. And we reflect on the things that we're actually asking for forgiveness for. The things that we've done or the things that we've left undone. And we get specific. And we expose these things to the light. As we pray about forgiving others, we name names. We imagine faces. It is hard to forgive. And so we pray and we ask God for the love and for the courage to forgive people. To release those who are indebted to us. This is what it looks like. To pray the lord's prayer and it takes a lifetime to learn now i want to end uh, my sermon by reminding us of one of the great promises of scripture in second peter 1 3 peter tells us that god has already given us everything that we need for life and godliness god has already given us everything we need for life and godliness and i think one of the greatest gifts one of the most precious treasures that he's given us for life and godliness is the Lord's Prayer. And so I I want to encourage us this morning to receive this gift, to receive it well, and the way we do that is we use it. We pray the Lord's Prayer. And when we do this over the course of our lives, as we pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray, the great promise is that we'll grow in our prayer day by day, week by week, year by year, and our desires will be turned towards God. And we'll be stretched, it'll be painful, but it'll be good and we'll be conformed into the pattern of this prayer, conformed into the pattern of Jesus. Over time, God will change us and he'll change our world as we pray. And we will become who God means us to be in Jesus. So let's pray this prayer together. And we'll do that together in a few minutes. I wanna end by praying for us uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word and we submit ourselves to it. Lord, you say after teaching us uh, your prayer, you give further instruction and you say, ask and it will be given you, search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. And Lord, we do ask you to teach us how to pray. We pray that you would open the door to us, to communion, to deep and intimate relationship with you. I Thank you that you hear our prayers and that you love us and that you answer them. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.